VCY America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the Internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk. And we thank you for joining us on Crosstalk here on VCY America. Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to radical environmental policies, it's not only coming out from the recent uh, COP28 conference in Dubai, which we'll be talking about briefly here today, but it's also making its way through the United States. And it's really to implement the policies that are coming forth from these uh, United Nations conventions of one sort or another. Uh, For instance, uh, California is soon to disallow the sale of new cars powered by gasoline in 2035. And you just think about that concept alone. And when you combine that with many other radical environmental and other policies combined with their sky-high taxes, no wonder why so many are fleeing the state of California. Then there was also a new bill just introduced December 5th in Washington State. It's House Bill 1868. But it's aimed at making illegal gas-powered mowers and lawn equipment. Some of the penalties in the legislation go up to $10,000, jail time up to 364 days. The push for electric vehicles continues to receive a federal push, uh, despite their many inefficiencies, especially in cold weather. And they're not selling on the lots. Meanwhile, we continue to hear how we must cut meat consumption in our country and around the world. Dyson Foods has made known of their plans for protein-centric endeavors. You'll want to stay around to learn what that's all about. We've got Bill Gates, who's been buying up farmland, and it seems on a rapid pace to fulfill what's known as Agenda 2030 across the United States and around the world. While many look at this as being a hopeless cause to fight against or to buck up against this, There are those who are pushing such an agenda. They exactly want you to feel that way, that it's a hopeless cause to resist. But did you know that there are many citizens across this land who are engaging on this matter on a local level and they're having victories? Well, you're not going to read about them on the front page of your local newspaper, but we'll tell you about what's happening in our country as well. Joining us today, we welcome back Tom DeWeese, the president of American Policy Center. Tom is one of the nation's leading advocates of individual liberty, free enterprise, private property rights, personal privacy, back-to-basics education, and American sovereignty and independence, and protecting our constitutionally guaranteed rights. Tom is also the grassroots coordinator for CFACT. Citizens for a Constructive Tomorrow. Tom, welcome back here to Crosstalk. Hey, it's good to be with you, Jim. Thank you. So we're going to be talking about some successes coming up later in the program, but let's kind of, first of all, speak of the mess we're in. I mean, the the recent COP28 conference uh, in in Dubai uh, is really a push towards socialism, really no friend to individual liberty or free enterprise or to private property rights, is it? No, not at all. They, the UN has put on these uh, COP meetings for uh, a few decades now. This one had 100,000 delegates at it. And uh, these are the forces that want to completely control human society. And uh, human population is, uh, is one of the targets. And uh, what do they have to do to cut that down? And uh, that, that really becomes a lot of the, the discussion of what they do. And that's why they have you know, focusing on our food consumption and, of course, our energy uh, use and all of those things that make our society and make our, our, our lives better. You know, in the, in the 1800s, when we didn't have uh, oil and gas and electricity and all those kind of things, uh, life expectancy was much shorter. Uh, people didn't uh, travel more than 100 miles in their lives from where they were born. Uh, you know, it, all that is because we didn't have these things that, that uh, improved our, our lifestyle and our, and our ability to uh, cope with it all. Yeah, and what's so interesting about that, though, they attack, you know, beef and, and food supplies, yet they, you know, lavish very plentifully on those issues. While they talk about the carbon footprint and, and needing to reduce that, everybody flying in on their, in their private jets to get them there. Yeah, yeah, that's always the joke when they, when they do this. And uh, they don't seem to even catch on to that hypocrisy. That, uh, you know, I, and I've asked the question many times, uh, if they completely destroy the economy and, and, and our civilization around the world, uh, even reducing populations and everything else, and they think they're going to survive in this and they're going to control over it, why would you want to live mm-hmm. 
in a world that is totally destroyed like that. A lot of people say to me, well, Tom, they think they're all going to get, they're going to have all the special privileges themselves. They won't feel this. I'm sorry, but if everybody around you is in absolute total misery, uh, that affects you too. You know, I just just don't get the, the, the mindset of these people. So anything finalized at this conference, Tom, or is this everybody go back to work to implement, you know, our ideals here? Well, that's what the point of it is, and uh, there there was some real consternation by a, a lot of the real radicals on there that some of the documents that they, they did come out with didn't do enough. Uh, I mean, first of all, Dubai is an oil company, uh, country, and, yeah. uh, you know, the attacks on the, on the whole oil industry, uh, there were a lot of oil companies involved there in, uh, in speaking out, and uh, CFACT had people there. And they were participating in some of these uh, uh, inside meetings and so forth and bringing out the hypocrisy of this. And there are uh, a lot of, like Al Gore and so forth, that thought that the uh, COP28 was an absolute disaster because it didn't go far enough. They wanted to shut, you know, have all the plans to shut it all down. Mm-hmm. But they do come up with guidelines, just like you've been, uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, of how you know, th- this is to be used by uh, state, uh, cont- uh, the national governments, the state governments, the uh, local governments to, to implement these things and put them in, in place step by step. Net zero is the, the target that they have had. That means no uh, CO2 and so forth. And this is the incredible part about it, that CO2 is not a pollutant. Our, our plants, everything that grows on Earth, needs CO2 to survive. And to shut it off, we have a serious shortage of CO2 right now, and yet they have all these plans to shut it down and, uh, and, and uh, you know, have even less. And uh, so this can only lead to massive starvation and misery. Or doesn't this put human breathing at risk? Oh, this is good, yes. <laughs> I had heard this mentioned, and then just a little while ago I got a report. They always have a new study, you know. And it said, humans are contributing to global warming by breathing, warns a new study. And it goes on to say, those who uh, emitted the most methane, according to the study, through through their breath, were more likely to be female and over 30 years old. (laughs) That's going to lose a few votes. Yeah, I'd say Uh, so. uh, But they dismissed the suggestion that a vegetarian diet, rather than a more... uh, uh, you know, beef uh, kind of diet would mm-hmm. be impactful. And it says uh, uh, converting from high meat and protein con- uh, content diets to higher fiber vi- vegetarian options to mitigate emissions of greenhouse gases from meat production uh, potentially result in higher production of gases in the human gut. <laughs> so, Amazing. It's, again, every single thing they come up with supposedly to save the environment actually damages the environment. Well, and and this is an important point because, Tom, part of their plan is population control. Yep. And 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 when you understand that when they you know breathing is a detriment to all of this, we have less people that are breathing. It's going to be better for the planet. Yeah, that's that's the contention. And uh, you know, it's it's interesting because for you know thirty years I have fought and tried to set the uh, you know the alarm out on Agenda Twenty One, Agenda Twenty Thirty, and I knew from the beginning that population reduction was a big part of it. But I didn't talk about it very much because. Uh, I was having enough trouble getting people to understand the threat to their property, right. and I thought if I brought that out, then I'd really lose them. Yeah. But it's come to the center of everything. Now. Yeah, they'd be looking to admit you somewhere. Yeah. Um, so, Tom, we hear the term climate justice today. What, what is that? The Well, part of it is that, uh, for example, if you have lower-income people living down in areas where there are factories and, and things like that, that they're breathing more of the uh, pollution and so forth, and they're, they're more uh, uh, susceptible to it. And climate justice would be to bring those people out of those areas into, into higher-level neighborhoods. Uh, that would just be climate justice. That's, that's just one example mm-hmm. of, of uh, what, they, what they're talking about there. Uh, you know, they make it up when they want. When they're just trying to sell their ideas to people who might be gullible enough to listen to them. Yeah, uh, is farmland still under threat today? Oh, absolutely, uh, all over the country. Uh, I've been uh, dealing with this uh, a lot over the last year or so, 
and um, the uh, you know you have the charge of the Chinese uh, government for one thing, uh, buying up a lot of land, and you have um, uh, the the wind and solar panels and 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 the solar uh, towers and so forth. Uh, you have local governments, state governments, and the federal government moving to uh, take a lot of this land out of production for farming. They 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 put the sustainable practices uh, as rules on farmers to to use, and it doesn't work. And then they start to really suffer economically. Then they offer them. I had a lady, and I was in uh, Montana speaking, and a lady came up to me and said that they had offered her over a million dollars to put uh, wind uh, towers on her property. I mean, who could resist that? And uh, this is a, this is the kind of thing they do. But if you, I mean, take a look at the photo of miles and miles and miles of solar panels, for example, as far as the eye can see. Underneath there, nothing is growing. All of that, what used to be productive land, is destroyed for production. And uh, even if it's not on your property, but you have a farm and it's surrounding you, it's affecting you. And just the other day, I uh, saw a report that said because of the way the solar panels are made and they're in that massive way they are, they cause warming. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. So, you know, but, yeah, it's, uh, farmland is really yeah. being buried under these things. Yeah, and I understand uh, uh, the Chinese have been buying up farmland, but uh, I saw a story here just a couple months ago from the Arkansas uh, area that the governor, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, ordered a Chinese company to relinquish ownership. Some 160 acres of Arkansas land becoming the, the very first state in the nation to take such a step, saying, no, you're not welcome here. Yes, that is the first uh, state to do that. And uh, this is uh, this is huge. And to get that passed into their le- through their legislature and her to sign it uh, was a major move. And uh, I, that's one of the things I'm working on now is trying to spread that. Well, Tom, since we're talking about food, farmland, etc., a story from WND.com caught our attention here as well. And it deals with uh, Tyson Foods. Uh, many of them know them as, uh, you know, renowned for their uh, chicken meat and so forth. But uh, uh, Tyson, we understand, is... Uh, uh, putting together, uh, you know, another series or entering in partnership, and uh, they're having a, what they're calling it's a, oh, they're ca- cutting meat consumption and having these protein-centric endeavors. And we understand that uh, the, the goal is to set up a bug plant in the United States, an operation that will make bud-based meal and oil for use in fish feed, dog food, but also for humans. Absolutely, and they are, uh, I've been reading uh, that uh, in a lot of foods already on the shelves, uh, they, they use a code word for it, and I, now I can't remember what it is, but it's cricket, uh, flour made out of crickets, yeah. and it's already in uh, a lot of things. And uh, Tyson's uh, has been a leader in a lot of this kind of stuff. Uh, where I first ran into them was fighting the cattle industry. So we'll pick up with that after the break. Tom DeWeese is with us here today on Crosstalk. Fighting a global agenda locally, our topic today. And, uh, friends, we're going to get to how this can be uh, opposed. And uh, so we encourage you to stay with us. But we're going to learn more what's taking place. This is Crosstalk coming your way from the VCY American Network. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, scientist and creation researcher with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, when the Ice Age happened, was the Earth just covered in snow, like one big snowball? Not at all, Chris, but there is a lot of evidence that the ice sheets which started up in Canada did come down into the U.S., but they didn't cover the entire globe at all. Actually, the Ice Age wasn't a time of bitter cold either. The summers were probably colder, such that the ice and snow which fell during the winter did not melt. But the winters were probably warmer on average than today. Today, if it gets really cold, it doesn't snow much because the cold air can't hold much moisture. The warmer the air, the more the moisture, the more the snow. And that's what's needed for an Ice Age. Just such a combination of factors would have happened right after the flood, essentially caused by the flood. By the way, that's the flood mentioned back in Genesis. For more on the foundational principles set forth in Genesis, visit us on the web at www.icr.org. 
You're listening to Crosstalk on the VCY American Network. Our guest today is Tom DeWeese, president of American Policy Center, also the grassroots coordinator for CFACT, and uh, talking about, well, finding a global agenda locally. But we're talking about that global agenda first right now. Uh, certainly we've talked about uh, some of the issues coming out of COP28, and and uh, we're told that CO2 is so harmful to us, and yet we understand population control is part of this. Briefly mentioned climate justice. We're talking about the food supply right now, including uh, a plan by Tyson for a protein-centric plant. Uh, Tom, something else was brought to uh, my attention here from our producer, and that is coming out of Orange Park, Florida, an Oak Leaf Village Elementary School. Um, And they were the stage for uh, Gordon Ramsay's uh, Master Chef Junior Home for the Holiday special that aired on Fox. And uh, in the the final, uh, the participant got a mystery box containing items that the judges randomly selected. They were required to cook a challenging street steak taco with thick steak to cut into small strips and grilled, but knew he could have been eliminated if he overcooked this. And additional ingredients were a spicy cricket salsa with chili peppers and tomatoes, uh, salt power, uh, pepper, or salt pepper, guacamole, and garlic powder. And then he also had to create a dish with crickets that earned him a compliment for from from uh, Tilly Ramsey, but uh, it, it, you know, I, I saw this and it's like this is indoctrinating. You know, where we have this Master Chef Junior competition taking place and giving them crickets as an ingredient that they're supposed to to cook with. Yeah, the you know when when children are born, they are a blank slate, and what they become is what is poured into you know their brains, their 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 slate, and. Uh, this is why if, if they see people that they're supposed to respect, like uh, teachers and leaders of things and so forth, and they're told, no, this is, this is just this is the way we must do it, and they scare them to death about what's going to happen to the environment, this is your future, on and on and on. This is why they're responding the way they are. They have been completely indoctrinated in, in these uh, systems, and they don't know any better. They don't know how to, to look at that and say, well, that's just crazy, because they've never seen anything else but that side. This is the way these monsters are are taking control of these innocent children and making them victims. And we've already got about two generations right now that have been victimized by this. And and you see the results. You see these kids, the college kids and so forth out there, uh, taking on these incredibly stupid positions on things. They don't know any better. They're victims. And uh, this is the result of it. Uh, We're going to... uh a segue to another topic here, and that is this whole matter of electric vehicles and banning uh, gas-powered automobiles. California taking some steps along that way. And, Tom, some of the news has been from from uh, uh, retailers of automobiles that that they're not selling. Their lots are full of them, and they're complaining to stop stop this push on them to push the EV. Yeah, absolutely. There are... What did I see? At least several hundred, if not more, uh, auto dealers uh, have have written to the Biden administration saying, "Stop making us sell these things. Stop making this a big deal." Uh, there, there are thousands of them sitting around, not being bought, and uh, they're they're losing massive amounts of money on these things. Yeah. Well, you know, I also there was a story in WND.com that uh, came out here just uh, a week ago. And it's, it's somebody who had a hybrid vehicle, and he had to get a new hybrid battery, but it was going to cost him $18,000 for the battery, another $2,000 to install it. Tom, he bought this vehicle for 16000 but it's going to cost eighteen to replace the, the, the battery, or the, for the battery itself, another 2000 to have it installed. Yeah, yeah I, I've actually heard as high as 75000 on a, some of these cars. Yeah, this one was a hybrid. Yeah, yeah but the... Um and here again, you have this this force that is always telling us that they have compassion for the less fortunate. You have people in this country who can't afford to buy a new car at all, but they have a car that is running. They are getting where they need to go. And they're putting these rules in place where at a certain point they're going to have to buy a new car and they're going to have to buy one of these things and it's going to cost them twenty thirty forty thousand dollars to do that and where's their compassion for these folks then because they can't do that and uh... if they could but you know then you find out that 
these things are completely unreliable. Uh, they're bursting out into flames in certain cases. Uh, and Lose what, what, you're really, what they're really driving towards here, they don't expect to replace all of the uh, gas-powered cars in the country, the millions of them that all the people are driving. They expect that this is really going to lead to making people get into public transportation, and just these elite fools are going to be able to drive, you know, have these things to drive. I know, and they're going fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars in all of this. And how do these do in, in cold climates, Tom? They don't do it at all. Yeah. <laughs> That's that. If you get stuck in a in a traffic jam in a big snowstorm with one of those power is going to run out pretty quick, and you're going to freeze to death in there. And how are we doing with all these electric charging stations across the country? Well, that's the other thing. We are, you know, here we are cutting back all of our other sources of energy and going to just wind and solar. And when the sun don't shine and the wind don't blow, (laughs) they're not producing anything. And I have been all over this country talking to people about wind and solar, and people who are involved in it will tell me that they produce nothing. And so here we're going to put everything on electric, and then we won't have any electric. Genius. And here's the thing, Jim, what really gets me about all this stuff. You have these leaders of these major corporations, that these are their products, the oil industry, the food industry, several more, who are joining in to this insanity, killing their own industries. They know these are – there's a – you know – people who are educated in energy and so forth, uh, uh, engineers and so forth, they know this doesn't work. Why aren't they standing up and saying no? Instead, they're going along with it because they're getting federal you know, grants and they get to play with the big boys and, and all that. But that's, that's all there is to it. Tom DeWeese with us here today from American Policy Center. And uh, Tom, before we leave this matter of energy, it, it is just so bizarre. I mean, the the uh, propaganda that's coming forth, I'm holding in my hands, I just downloaded this within an hour before the program, just was filed in the state of Washington, December 5th, 2023. It's House Bill number 1868. And they're looking for the legislature to to uh, stop the sale of gas-powered lawn mowers as well as lawn equipment. But I'm reading from page one of the bill. Listen to this. According to one calculation by the United States Environmental Protection Agency, okay, one calculation, gas-powered motors contribute 5% of the U.S. air pollution and estimates indicate more than 17 million gallons of fuel, mostly gasoline, is spilled each year while refueling lawn equipment. Tom, 17 million gallons spilled just refueling lawn equipment. But listen, here's the second sentence, and I'll have you comment. And then it says, nationally, the Department of Transportation data shows that in 2018, Americans used nearly 3 million gallons of gasoline running lawn and gardening equipment. So we nearly used 3 million gallons in 2018, but we're spilling 17 million gallons? There you go. They they, they call. Or, I'm things. sorry. I'm sorry. That was three billion gallons, but seventeen million gallons that 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 we are actually using. Yeah, they're spilling. I rather. They they always call these a new study. No, they're not. <laughs> you know, yeah. These things are made up to make a you know to, to push along their agenda. And how would they know how much you spill? Are they are they monitoring your garage? You know. Yeah. <laughs> And and the, the one other th- matter here, they talk about uh, an hour of running a lo- gas lawnmower can contribute as much smog-forming pollutant as driving a passenger car 300 miles. Yeah, and all those folks that flew their planes over to Dubai can tell yeah. you how <laughs> much. Yeah, and the other thing, I mean, they're trying to restrict everything, every piece of power equipment uh, that's gasoline-powered. But, Tom, when I looked up the fines for this, they give it to another section of their statutes, Fines up to $10,000 or imprisonment up to 364 days. Wow. Well, this is what happens when they have these U.N. meetings, these COP meetings and so forth. They come up with these plans. You, you have the, these insane people sitting there coming up with all this stuff. And you know, with 100,000 delegates at COP28, most of those delegates are uh, parts of these non-governmental organizations, these private uh, uh, groups that are you know, the Sierra Club, the Nature Conservancy, all those kind of groups, and they have these troops. They're there. When they come home, they 
go into your community. They surround your local elected officials, your state legislators, and so forth. They put all of this pressure on them. They uh, help the federal government write the, the uh, grant programs, and then they bring them in and say, oh, hey, got it all right here for you. This is how they impose these plans. And, uh, uh, you know, if, if, if you play ball with them, then your political career can be up. You get money for your reelection and all that kind of stuff. If you don't play ball with them, then they're going to get rid of you. That's, uh, you know, that's the game. But that's what these delegates are. They're there to put that agenda together. Then they spread out over the world to implement it. Tom DeWeese with us here today, and friends, we could go on for hours on this, but I don't want to stay in doom and gloom. Tom, you've you've posted actually a couple articles on your site, uh, setting the agenda for Freedom's Comeback, fighting back at the local level. Um, we see all these things happening, and, and they're so bizarre, and they go so much more detailed. I mean, the takeover of land and how land can be used or not used, and we see th- certain things being enacted in planning commissions and so forth. Is is there hope, or I mean, we we seem to feel you know like a defeatist uh, when it comes to all these things. But but uh, is there a chance for hope in all of this? Absolutely, there is. Let me tell you something. My, my worst fear is when I run into people saying they look down in defeat and they go, "Tom, we've lost the republic. There's nothing we can do." And I look at them and I tell them, "If you believe that and accept it, it's a self fulfilling prophecy." And, uh, yeah, we all accept, okay, they've beaten us, and go home. Just, there's nothing we can do. The minute you accept that, that's what's going to happen. But what I, you know, after 30 years of trying to uh, alert people to all of this and, and, and push forward with it, and I've talked to a lot of half-empty rooms and a lot of people saying, oh, what's this about? I don't care about this. I don't feel anything from this until people feel the results of it. And when they do finally feel those results, then they become fierce fighters. Well, now it is so obvious everywhere. And what I am seeing across this country are people rising up, getting it. Uh, I think really a lot of it started in the, in the schools when you know, angry moms suddenly started seeing what they were doing to their children. You don't want to mess with angry moms, you know. And, they, you know, school boards became one of the first targets of of people really looking at what's happening. But I am seeing it now. Uh, Farmers, I've worked with so many farmers over the last uh, couple of years, and uh, starting to understand, starting to take, first of all, trying to get them to, to take action was a very difficult thing. All they wanted to do was farm. They didn't want to be political people. But now they understand they're not going to be able to farm unless they take action, and they're starting to take action. And uh, I'm seeing it uh, all over the place. So how does a farmer take action? Well, like we had happen in South Dakota, where they tried to intimidate them into accepting these policies, these corporations trying to put that stupid carbon capture pipeline in place there. And uh, when they tried to deliberately intimidate them and say, don't say anything, they caught on. And they went to the state legislature, and they... uh, uh, and they demanded that their property rights be protected. This is the key. I've, I, what I've learned over all these years in fighting sustainable development policies is that sustainable development cannot be imposed if private property is protected because it is a destroyer of private property. And so if you can work in your local community, what I'm working with now, you've got township supervisors, you've got city councilmen and so forth who think that there's nothing they can do, and I'm going in and showing them, yes, you can and you must because you're the ones to do it. Okay, we're going to come back with that point. Tom DeWeese is with us today, president of American Policy Center and grassroots coordinator for CFAC. We'll be giving you his website as well for more information on these issues. But uh, friends, don't feel defeated. There's hope. We'll be right back. The Bible says that life is but a vapor that's here for a short time and then vanishes away. Scripture also says, It's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Have you ever wondered what happens when you die? In the book, What Happens After Life, author Ron Rose provides a survey of the Bible's teachings about the afterlife. He tracks the destiny for those who know Christ as Savior and the destiny for unbelievers. He addresses numerous topics, such as the immediate state after death, believers and the judgment seat of Christ, unbelievers and the great white throne judgment, the new heavens and a new earth, the new Jerusalem, and so much more. He even tackles the question of what happens to infants, young children, and those mentally disabled as it relates to eternity. What Happens After Life is available for a donation of $15 or more by calling VCY at 1-800-729-9829. 1-800-729-9829. 
1029. You're listening to Crosstalk on the VCY American Network. With us today is Tom DeWeese, president of American Policy Center, also grassroots coordinator for CFAC, Citizens for a Constructive Tomorrow, and uh, talking about fighting a global agenda locally. And, Tom, when it comes to this agenda, I mean, it's going, we're seeing it come through the World Economic Forum, all these different, you know, the, the COP28 that was just had, all these United Nations groups. And uh, again, one wonders, how can I make a difference in all of that? And is a difference being made anywhere in this world concerning these things? You say yes. I say absolutely yes. Uh, first of all, the, these policies coming out of the U.N. and the, uh, the COP28 and so forth, uh, and, and they're, they're pushing them on every country in the world. There are countries who still understand that national sovereignty gives them the right to create a life that they choose and and be in be in control and uh you know you've had in England and Germany and, and a lot of European countries and so forth over the years that have led the way for this net zero stuff that they've shut down their coal mines and uh, uh you know trying to move towards wind and solar do all that kind of stuff and they are absolutely suffering uh economically from it and uh, they're starting to fight back. Let me just give you some examples. Uh, these are just headlines of articles that I, I got today, just the headlines. Europe's climate funds to be cut as the European Union leader uh, planned uh, to, their leaders plan to move funds to immigration and defense instead. They're having all kinds of trouble in, in Europe, just like we are in this country with uh, illegal immigration. And, uh, and their national defense. They're going to start moving their funds that way. Uh, another one is coal use to hit a record high in 2023 well. despite the net zero push. Uh, net zero projects are drowning under rising costs. Uh, one day after COP28, German government cuts climate funds by 45 billion euros. So this is just an example of, of things that are happening. And then you go on with it. And... Uh, just uh, last month in um, Argentina, uh, a gentleman uh, named uh, Xavier M- uh, Milley, uh, who is uh, who advocates as a limited government free enterprise candidate, uh, shocked everybody, and he won mm-hmm. the, the presidency of, of uh, Argentina. Uh, and he, uh, you know, he said in uh, in his things, well, one of the things he was going to do was he was going to get re- elim- start eliminating. Uh, 11 of the 19 federal agencies of Argentina. That included the Ministry of Environment and Sustainable Development, the Ministry of Women, Gender, and Diversity, and the Ministry of Education, which he called the Ministry of Indoctrination. Uh, And and he's moving in those directions now. So good things can come out of elections. Absolutely, and they can. I can give you some more. The uh, uh, in Louisiana, the. State, uh, the uh, Republicans won every single state uh, legislative uh, thing, governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general. And interestingly enough, right after that, and they did that, the um, uh, Democrats started saying, there's election fraud here. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so we'll see what happens with that. Um, and uh, and CFAC that I'm working with, uh, they have uh, been working to try to show the hypocrisy of the environmental movement over uh, the um, uh, wind and, and solar stuff, and it particularly took on the battle of these wind towers in uh, offshore, and it's it's actually killing uh, sea life there, uh, particularly whales. So they took up the, the uh, campaign, stop windmills, save the whales, and uh, they have achieved. Uh, getting uh, some states to back off of building these uh, wind towers out out in the offshore, uh, it equipped as, as much as a third of the goal of the Biden administration. They have succeeded in pushing back on that. So uh, you know these are these are victories. The uh, you, you mentioned the uh, Arkansas bill to uh, cut back on China's ability to buy up land and so forth. There. Um, in a couple of weeks, I'm headed to Pataskala, Ohio, a small little community there. This is in a county that's my birth county, Licking County, Ohio. Mm. 
and I know this well. And the the Chinese are moving to put together a factory in this little town. They'll hire eight and uh, employ eight hundred people to build solar panels there. And they are hurting farmland. With this is a massive factory, and they they've been taking farmland and stuff. Here again, you've got a city council that doesn't get it, and people are trying to talk to them and and and. Uh, you know, make them understand that this is a danger, and uh, the we're we're about to. Uh, I'm organizing with with activists all over the state to uh, get publicity on it and uh, work with the legislature and so forth. I think we're going to stop it. Tom, and I hear people listening, and these are great victories, but, you know, I'm just John Doe living out here. What can I do to make a difference? Yeah, and that's what a lot of people do believe that. First of all, there are other people in your community who think the way you do. And you have got to reach out and try. Maybe you can do it by posting something on Facebook, for example, or uh, maybe you could put a flyer together and take it door to door and say, I'm opposed to this. You will begin to find, if you've got 10 people who would join you in this, now you've got a committee. You can begin to uh, put a plan together, and that, we're working on creating tools to help people do that in a much easier way. I understand people get intimidated by it and so forth. If you go down and try to uh, oppose it by yourself, uh, I, I've jokingly said, if you're addressing city council and there's a, uh, you're standing there in, in, at the podium in the front and there's a trap door underneath you and you start opposing these things, you're gone. You know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, but if you've, I have seen when people did do that, other people uh, began to rise up as well. I, I have, for example, I had a guy tell me, we had 100 people show up at city council the other night uh, over something they were doing. And I said, what happened? Well, nothing. They didn't listen to us. And I said, what did you do the next day? And he said, well, nothing, because it didn't work. And I said, yep, they were looking at their watches. They knew that's what you were going to do. If you had 100 people show up at city council and uh, and you didn't win what you were doing, you still had a victory. You had 100 people there. Get their names. Get their information. Mm-hmm. And begin to build from that. This is what we fail to do. We just go, well, there's nothing we can do. They aren't listening to us. I hear that all the time. I heard that when we fought the uh, carbon capture pipeline in Iowa, the first thing I heard was that uh, uh, county commissioners all over the state were opposed to this, but they were being told by this appointed board that they had to go along with it. Well, they said the state said we have to do this. And I said, you were elected to represent the people. You know, you stand there like cowards and say, golly gee, we can't do anything. Somebody recorded my talk on that, made CDs of it, and sent it all over the state to um, uh, county uh, uh, supervisors out there, and even showed it in a movie theater. Wow. Wow. And uh, it caught on. The county supervisors reacted, and they have taken a stand. Protect the property rights of the people in your community. You had, there in this case, you had... Uh, private corporations that were filled with all kinds of money and political power from the federal government coming in there and saying, we're going to take your property and put it in this carbon capture pipeline. By what right to just take my property and mm-hmm. use eminent domain to do that? We started asking those questions, and people finally started getting it and standing up to them. I have seen these power brokers like this who, who think they're omnipotent and can do all this stuff. I've seen them run when people stand up and come after them. Don't be afraid of them. They're terrified of you. Friends, our phone number to Crosstalk today, 800-733-9829. Your questions or brief comments, 1-800-733-9829. And, Tom, this is where it's important, and I, I've heard you use the term before, local, local, local. You, you're trying to engage people on the local level, and that means attending the the, the committee meetings and board meetings and, and finding out what is going on and f- Forming that coalition in order to make a make an impact, and if nothing else, maybe even decide to run for office yourself on the local level. Absolutely. I mean, there are organizations, good organizations, that are working on the federal level. Fine, they've got staff, they've got you know they're, they're there, but you are not going to have an impact on that. If you start at your local level, if you could get just your community to take actions on certain things. The next community will look at that and say, how did you do that? And it starts to grow. This is exactly what happened in Louisiana, in Shreveport, Louisiana. A group down there, the Caddo Alliance for Freedom, has done it 
perfectly, and other communities are now asking how they did it, and they even got one of the guys elected to the state legislature, another one elected to the county, uh, the township uh, board, and uh, uh, some county commissioners who are, uh, or, I mean, city councilmen who didn't want to go along with them all of a sudden turned and said, how can I help you fellas? Hmm. This is how it works. Yeah. But you don't sit there and get discouraged and say, I can't do anything. This is your life. And you have got, your freedom is not free. You have got to stand up and take it. But if you do it at the local level, it grows up. But it doesn't necessarily happen the other way around. So, Tom, uh, your website, AmericanPolicy.org, you've got tools on your website? Absolutely. And we're working to get more. Uh, I'm working now to get uh, more tactics, more tools for people to use. I understand the imitation of uh, the, uh, people being intimidated by things and uh, afraid to start. And I'm trying to create things so that it'll make it much easier. So give me another month or so, and we're going to have a lot of this stuff together. Let's begin with Brent in Pewaukee, Wisconsin. Brent, you're on the air. Well, good afternoon to both of you, Jim and Tom. Uh, Tom, you know, in the Bible, that's the doubting one. I'm enjoying listening to you, Tom. And I wish you both a Merry Christmas. My statements are quite simple. If you go and Google the Ford Motor Company, they're losing billions of dollars on the electric. Hmm. If you look at the state of Illinois, they're just passed, they've just passed a bill where the state is telling you that if you're a renter, a landlord, if a person who's renting from you has an electric car, you are forced to put in an EV station to plug it. Wow. And the last statement that I have, if you're contributing to China, you buy an electric vehicle because the power supply, the battery pack, is made with Chinese material. Brent, thank, thank you, guys. Thank you for the comments. Yeah. By the way, I'm not a doubting Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm a positive Thomas. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah the, uh, you know, the Chinese, they are leading the effort in the world to open more and more coal mines. They're completely ignoring everything that the U.N. is pushing on all this stuff, but they're in the background saying, yeah, yeah, good, put it together, put it together, and forcing the United States to do these things. And forcing landlords to put in charging stations if they have a tenant? I mean, that's that's where it leads to. And, uh, yeah, they're behind these things. Dave in Phoenix, Arizona, you're on the air. Uh, Yes, Jim and Tom. Really good show today, but... um, I have a situation where I lived in Wisconsin, and now I am moved to Arizona. Okay, in Wisconsin, we don't have uh, emission testing, right? In, in, in Arizona, they do. So my car, a 1994 Cadillac, which is worth about $500, they want me to put in two to $3,000 like a new catalytic converter and a bunch of other stuff because I didn't pass the emission test. Mm. So here I am, a retired guy. I put two tankfuls of gas last year for the whole year in my car, mm. and uh, they, they, they're just morons, just absolute morons. Uh, Tom, your quick response. We're near a break. Uh, quick, quick response is that you are not the only one that's suffering from this. If you could write a letter to the editor, do something to get it out there, you might get somebody else to respond with you. What needs to happen is that people need to stand up and rise up against this and say we're not going to do this and uh, that this is absolute theft from us. And so, you know, that's what we need to do. Thank you for the call. We're up against a break. And by the way, there are some counties in Wisconsin that emissions tests are required, but not all. Uh, Tom DeWeese, our guest here today on Crosstalk. We'll take more of your phone calls following the break. Our number 800-733-9829. Fighting a global agenda locally. Back in a minute. For the Worldview Report, I'm Brandon House. Our website is worldviewreport.com. Matthew 25, Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats. Now don't confuse Matthew 25 with Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. That's where he judges the dead. This is Matthew 25, where he's judging the Gentile nations that have come out of the tribulation. He's separating the sheep from the goats. And he commends those sheep who ministered to his brethren. I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick, right? And you cared for me. I was thirsty. You gave me water. Remember that? Well, that passage is used to promote social justice. It's not about social justice. He said, you'd ministered to my brethren. 
in the Greek strong, we find out that the brethren is the Jews. You know how hard it is today to stand up for the Jewish people since October 7th with the rise of anti-Semitism? We've not seen anything compared to what's going to happen during the tribulation. And Jesus isn't saying you're saved because you help the Jews. You help the Jews because you're saved. Tom DeWeese, our guest here today on Crosstalk, his website, AmericanPolicy.org. That's AmericanPolicy.org. We're going right back to the phone lines here and uh, holding the longest Kathy in Wisconsin. You're on the air. Yeah. Early on in this whole silly thing, um, I saw a list of countries and their emissions. And we were like 16th because we filter everything. Why don't we push filtering to other countries? Well, the United States has, you know, been taking, uh, you know, seriously and, you know, making sure we cleared up pollution, things like that. We've done these things. And as you say, I mean, we are leading in the world. And uh, even to be in 16 is, is high. <laughs> I, think, mm-hmm. I think it's even lower than that. But um, uh, the, uh, they use, they, the point of it all is that it has nothing to do with protecting the environment. It has to do with global control, and the United States is enemy number one. And they have got to discredit us and attack us and destroy our economy and everything else. Now, that's a radical statement, but that is the truth and what yeah. they're doing. Yeah. I understand that, but why don't we point this out to them? Well, because we have some of those people running this country. And uh, they don't want to point that out. Nor will they speak against China and its coal-fired plants as they continue to shut ours down. Kathy, thank you for raising the issue. Uh, Doug is next in Georgia. Doug, you're on the air. Yeah, I want to make a comment about the electric vehicle. Uh, Thank God I'm not a farmer anymore. My brother is in training. They were informed. It's a suicide mission uh, if they have to go out on one of those. Electric vehicle. Water hits it, it blows up. Hmm. And same if you in, in Jacksonville, Florida during the hurricane, I think what seventeen cars blew up. Some of them were in the garages and they blew up uh, in the garages. With salt water hitting the batteries, yeah. 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 yeah, thank you, Doug. Uh that that fire hazard. I mean the, the amount of water it takes Tom to put out uh one of these fires and, and some are learning just let it burn out. I mean there's different strategies at this point, but Wow, another detriment, and all of a sudden, you know, it's the, you know, just the the sudden combustible nature of these batteries as well that's happening, destroying people's garages and homes. Absolutely, and uh, I've been seeing those reports all over. I've, I I saw from a fireman who said, "Don't pour water on them." Yeah, and all that stuff. So well, it, uh, yeah. Our next caller is Brad in West Dallas, Wisconsin. Brad, you're on the air. Hey, Brother Jim. Uh, this is good that your guest brought up the fact that CO2 is not a pollutant, mm-hmm. despite that stupid court decision some years ago um, where they declared that it was. Uh, CO2 is also not poisonous. There are people out, out there that think that it's poison. If you breathe it, you're going to die. Yeah. The, it'll take up space that are in your lungs that otherwise would be, you know, taken up by oxygen, and you need the oxygen, but that's all it can do to you. It's not going to poison you. Um, I don't see the, the big deal with this. Uh, I learned in, grade, learned in grade school that plant life needs CO2 to survive, yep. and the plant life gives us oxygen. So it's a win-win. There's nothing, nothing wrong. Right. And uh, CO2, we, we don't have much of it. Uh, like he also said, it's a, there's a shortage of anything. CO2 is only uh, 0.04% of our atmosphere, which means 4% of 1%. Mm-hmm. That's pretty tiny. Yeah. Brad, thank you for the comment. Tom? Yeah, I've got a, in fact, right in front of me, I've got a chart uh, that came from the U.S. Navy, a CO2 starvation, it's titled. And it says the average CO2 that we need to, to live is 1,600 parts per million, and that we right now are at 400 parts per million wow. and falling. So, you wow. know, this it's already started. We've got uh, Tim next in Clarksburg, West Virginia. You're on the air. Yeah, I was just wanting to make a comment about the uh, electric vehicles. Um, you made the point that uh, a vast majority of people, uh, they live by buying a used car because that's all that they can afford. Mm-hmm. But what's going to happen as this rolls on down, people who can't afford a car, 
if they were forced to buy a used electric car, then they're going to get hit with a sixteen thousand uh, dollar new battery fee, yep. which there's no possible way that they can afford that. Yep. And what's going to happen? That's why they're pushing. They're, they're, they've got all their cards on the table. They're pushing these electric vehicles because they know that if they don't get the country flipped over fast, if it doesn't happen fast, these used vehicles, these used electric vehicles that are on the road today, if that's all that's out there two, three, four, five, six years down the road, the disaster is going to hit before they get the before they get it converted over, and then nobody's going to buy in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you if you take a look at all of these smart growth plans in almost every community across the country, uh, you will see that the the push to eliminate uh, cars is very strong in there, and so that goes along with it. Public transportation, bicycles, walking—that is what they really are pushing. Having everybody live in the center part of downtown and big high-rises—that's a smart growth plan that almost every community in this country is working towards. And uh, so, elimination of cars—this is how they're doing it. As they, as they first, they they can't just ban cars, so they'll ban a certain kind of car, and uh, all for the protection of the environment, of course. Tim, we appreciate the call. I'm going to move on, though, because we have one last caller we want to get in. Uh, Time is short. Robin in Kentucky, you're on the air. Uh, Quick comment. Uh, We spend a lot of money, say, for instance, uh, the space industry. Um, We're so lucky to get up in there and then get back. (laughs) They're pulling the wool over our eyes. So much money. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, Tom DeWeese uh, with us today, uh, just less than a minute. W- what would you like to leave with our listeners on this important issue? Well, I have said uh, we'll be working on a local level is building a freedom pod out of your community. And we have on our website a section there on freedom pods. I'm working to get every group I worked with listed on there to help you uh, get involved. But this is how we fight back. Fight back on the local level and uh, get local citizens working with you, and we go into detail there on how to do it. And uh, and there's many victory stories, Tom, from from those, whether it be a school board, a city council meeting, whatever it may be. We're starting to get them. We're starting to grow, and uh, I've never been busier, believe me. Wow. Tom, thank you for being with us here today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And, uh, friends, uh, you can check out the website at AmericanPolicy.org. That's AmericanPolicy.org. And just as there are those that are getting engaged on local levels, on school boards, and fighting against these pornographic books and libraries, and school board members are being replaced by those who have values for their community, oh, the same can happen within city council meetings and city planning meetings and county boards of supervisors and up through the offices as well. But uh, certainly building that coalition around you and and uh, Tom DeWeese has got some uh, ways to help you do that. You can check it out, AmericanPolicy.org, and uh, check it out there for more information. God bless you, folks. Thanks for joining us today on Crosstalk. You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the Internet from VCY America. Views expressed may or may not be those of this station. For a CD of today's program, send a donation of $6 or more to VCY Tape Ministry, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53208. Or download by RSS or podcast from CrosstalkAmerica.com. And join us again for Crosstalk. Crosstalk.